Freddy cats and kittens. My name's Brian. And I'm Whitley. And welcome to this week's episode of Deathly Afraid. Ooh. Yeah, I said right this time. <laughs> Good job, Brian. I'm so proud. Um, how was your week besides having a bad day today? <laughs> My week was actually pretty good. We had a lot of grumpy people at work. So. Because it's starting to get really hot, and everybody gets grumpy when it's hot. Right? <laughs> so, how was your week? Good, sir. Um, My week is pretty good. We're starting to get super busy at work now. The, the heat's coming around, breaking everybody's cars. And nice. A lot of AC Not work. nice that the heat is breaking people's cars, but nice that you're busy. Right? Anything exciting happen this week? Not really. Oh, I want to tell you guys about my cute credo and his baseball team. Oh, yeah. So Mother's Day was last Sunday, right? And we had gone to Utah for a wedding on Saturday, and then we had to leave super early on Sunday to make it to his baseball game. And apparently they had been keeping this secret from all the moms and he was so good at it. I had no idea. Which is surprising. Right? They're usually not good at secrets. Let's be real. But they all come out dressed with their pink socks and pink wristbands for Mother's Day. Then at the end of the game, they give all the moms a rose and a ball that they had like written on for their mom. And it was just so cute. It was just so sweet. So, And they killed the other team. So. Right. That was also exciting. And their little cheer, instead of saying their team name, they said, Happy, Happy Mother's, Mother's Day. It was super cute. It was super sweet. So I hope all the rest of you moms had a good Mother's Day. Right. <laughs> so. All right. So what is your story about this week? So my story this week is going to be about Lemp Brewery, which is... It sounds haunted, like a place I want to be. It's a haunted house, but it's like a brewery. But that is somewhere I want to be. Right? You got the ghosts and you got you the get, booze. You get drunk with the ghosts. That sounds super fun. <laughs> I can see why it'd be I if I was a ghost, I would haunt a brewery. Why? And I get all my booze. <laughs> booze and booze. <laughs> you get the double booze. <laughs> All right, well, I don't think I've actually heard about this, so please tell me. I will. So I got my story this week from LampHauntedHouse.com about the Lamp Brewery and family's history. Sounds good. You sound good. Do I, though? <laughs> yes, you do. So, what determines whether a building is, a haunt is haunted? When a person dies in a house, does that automatically make the place haunted? Maybe. Is it a murder, a suicide, or an unexplained death that makes the building haunted? How about five deaths in one mansion with nearly all supposedly being by their own hand? They all killed themselves? Is that what you mean by their own hand? Like suicide? You will find out. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead. So, the Lemp family truly qualifies as one of America's most haunting ghost stories, with much scrutiny on the seemingly possessed Lemp mansion. Sounds like I'm saying Lemp. Lemp? The Lemp mansion. Like Lemp Biscuit? <laughs> Built in the 1860s. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm done. 
Built in the 1860s, the Lemp Mansion was home to the Lemp family and located next to their family business, the Lemp Brewery. By 1870, the Lemp Brewery was the largest brewing company in St. Louis, dominating the beer trade until Prohibition closed the plant in 1919. By that time, the family had already endured one heart failure death, Frederick Lemp, at the mysterious age of 28, and one suicide, William Lemp Sr. From 1919 to 1949, five more deaths-slash-suicides occurred. In 1920, just days after her marriage and with her husband in the next room, Elsa Lemp supposedly took her own life with a gunshot to the chest but left behind no suicide note. Hmm. The Lemps called their doctor, an attorney, and the coroner without ever notifying police. The police weren't involved until at least two hours after her death. That's weird. Right? Hmm. In 1922, after selling off the Lemp Brewery Complex at auction, William Lemp Jr. ended his own life inside the mansion office with a shot to his heart. Again, no note was left behind. Then in 1943, William Lemp III died of heart failure at the age of 42. William's unnamed, illegitimate child died inside the mansion somewhere around mid to late 1940s. In 1949, Charles Lemp committed suicide in his mansion bedroom after shooting his dog in the basement. Knowing several other Lemp suicides remained suspect, Charles left a note with only the words, In case I am found dead, blame it on no one but me. <laughs> That's weird. Right? Like, like in case I succeed or what? Like, I guess. So. That's weird. So following his brother's death, Edwin Lemp sold the mansion and it became used as a boarding home. Then in 1970, the final death of Edwin Lemp at age 90 ended the family line. It's believed Edwin lived as long as he did only because he sold the mansion and left the evil behind. Although the Lemp mansion gets most of the press, many suspect it was the cursed business that drove several of the Lemp family to suicide or other ill fate. The Lemp Mansion and Brewery were connected by a series of underground tunnels and caverns called the Caves of St. Louis. So not only could you get some beer, but you can go on a tunnel. You could go on a tunnel? In the tunnel, underneath <laughs> the ground. Years ago, this natural cave system provided the perfect temperature for aging beer. The Lemps would also use the caves of stone, arches, and gothic walls to walk to work, work, work each day. They would walk to work. Why don't you work me walk there? Right? Today, it's a horrific haunting experience like no other. The Lemp Brewery Dynasty is one of the greatest ghost stories in documented history of the paranormal, but the real and truly scary place in the story is the brewery itself in the caves underneath. We recently took a tour of Lemp Brewery where... Halloween Productions, Inc. of St. Louis, Missouri, has opened a haunted house. That'd be kind Say of cool. this again? What? So they took a tour of the brewery and the caves and the... Who's they? People. The people. 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 Oh, Brian. So the Halloween Productions, Inc. of St. Louis, Missouri, has opened a haunted house. They claim this haunt to be the only real haunted house in America. The minute you arrive at the Lemp Brewery, you literally feel the history. The complex is well over 100 years old and fully rich with gothic gates, archways, buildings, and more. As we near the entrance to the haunt, we are shocked to learn there's only one way in via a 100-year-old spiral staircase. That'd be cool. Once you enter the old brewery, you are taken down deep underground, well below the brewery structure, into a section that hasn't been seen by the public in nearly a hundred years. The descent stop. Or de decent, the descent. <laughs> the descent stops nearly fifty feet below street level, and we are reminded underground no one can hear you scream. Ugh. After your descent, you rise up. We step up into what is now known as the Lent Brewery Haunted House. 
This haunted house is unlike anything we've ever seen before. Most haunted houses try very hard to create fake stone or castle-looking walls, but inside the Lent Brewery haunted house, everything is real, over a hundred years real. With a gothic appearance, the place reminds me of an old European Dracula's castle. It's damp, musty, and oh-so-creepy. The theme of the haunt highlights its dark history. The haunted house features a state-of-the-art animations, sets, props, sound effects, and special effects. The lighting highlights the natural gothic look of the walls, ceilings, and more. Old rusty pipes and worn-down machines from a time long ago still remain. Tens of thousands of dollars of monsters, dead zombie gangsters, and a dead massive... gangsters? Yeah. A massive animated alligator, creepy rats, bats, and long-lost brewery workers of the dead come out to haunt inside the Lemp Brewery Haunted House. This attraction winds through several sections of the old brewery, spanning over 20,000 square feet of fear. To escape what lurks inside these tunnels and dark corners, you must climb a long staircase to exit out of what they call the hole. So is the Lemp Brewery Haunted House really haunted? If there were ever a place on Earth that is haunted, I think this would be it. I can't imagine a place more rich with haunted history. If Hollywood wanted to shoot a new monster movie or a subterranean horror flick, they wouldn't have to build a single set if filming inside this place. The Lemp Brewery Haunted House is one of the most unique and realistic haunts we've ever reviewed. If you're a haunted house scream seeker looking to find one of the best haunted houses in the country, or if you simply find yourself in the St. Louis area this fall, Make sure you stop to scream at the Lent Brewery Haunted House. So what place is this that did the review? Scarefest.com. Okay. And that's my story. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Very nice. So have you heard of Gannon Stouk or Leticia Stouk? No. Yeah. This is a very recent case. Her court just got done. She just got sentenced. Um, actually starts in 2020. And she just got tried and sentenced. Okay. So on January 27th of 2020, Gannon, who is aged 11, was reported missing in Colorado Springs by his stepmother, Leticia Stout. Leticia Stout. I kept wanting to say Stouch. But every place that I heard someone say it, it's stick. So she's 38 at this time. Um, Gannon's father, Albert Stout, was in the National Guard and he's actually in Oklahoma on deployment at the time of his disappearance. The day before Gannon disappeared was January 26, 2020. His f- father had flown out to Oklahoma. They just had some family in town and stuff and they had also left and then he left to Oklahoma. Letitia and Gannon and Lena, which is Gannon's little sister, also Al's. So Al has two kids and Letitia has one. And then they got married. Okay. Um, Gannon and Lena are Al's kids. And Harley is Letitia's daughter. Her Harley is a teen. I think she's 17 at the time all this is going on. And then um, Gannon's 11. And I believe Lena. I want to say it was like eight. I want to say, don't hold me to that because I forgot to write it down. So Letitia takes Gannon and Lena hiking. Um, She'd been texting Al most of the day. And then she told him that on their hike, Gannon had pooped his pants, which apparently was kind of common. He had a lot of stomach issues and had issues with this sort of thing. I, The way I took it, it was like maybe like the IBS thing or something. Yeah. Letitia made a point to tell Al that Gannon had been bleeding from his rectum, um, which no one actually has ever confirmed this, but it just seemed kind of sketchy. And also, why would she know this? You're an 11 year old boy. That's your stepmom. Would you tell her that your butt is bleeding? Right. I wouldn't. Like, that's weird. The same day, Gannon had been been burned pretty badly, supposedly from a candle that had tipped over. And then Letitia had made a video of them talking about the burns. And she's asking Gannon, are you sure you didn't do this on purpose? And is 
And she's like basically telling him we're going to have to sell stuff to fix this so the old lady don't kick us out of the house. Um, she's telling him like they're going to have to sell the couch just to you know fix what he's done. So, yeah. So later she's just claiming that he tipped over a candle, which talking to Harley and everything like they're like, that's not normal gown and never lit candles like yeah you just didn't do this stuff like that which to to play devil's advocate i mean i could see our kids doing something like that they don't do it on the daily yeah. but i could see them oh look a candle let's light it you know what i mean right. so i don't know um also i kind of think her story is full crap you know, in the video, just like we're gonna have to sell the couch, we're gonna have to do all this stuff, and like Gannon heard just saying, you know, I'm just worried about my burns. And she just like the video ends, it's like she doesn't even care. And so the reason I bring this part up is that it comes up a lot in the case, and there is um missing carpet from the home that she blames on this fire. So Letitia texted Al later that night, told him about the burns, saying that, you know, I had tipped the candle over and there were bubbly spots on both of his arms. At 2.40 a.m., she texted Al to let him know that Gannon was going to stay home from school because he was having stomach issues. But then later that day, she let him go to a friend's house, which is weird. Right. You know what I mean? Having issues, it'd be like, you're going to stay home. Right. Well, when our kids you know, say that they're sick or whatever, they do nothing. Yeah. Like, they stay home. You can watch TV maybe, but you're not going to play your games. You're not going to mess with your phone. You're not going to call your friends. You're not, like, you're home. Yeah. Home when you're sick, you know? So, I don't know. I thought that was weird. Now we know what actually happened is Letitia murdered Gannon. So, he was... I'm just going to tell you what they found out after they found him. Cause they don't find him for a couple months. Right. So he was stabbed 18 times shot in the jaw with a nine millimeter handgun, severing his spinal cord and lodging into a skull. And he also suffered a skull fla- fracture from a blow to the head. So after all this, Letitia takes Gannon's body. It's in a, puts in the, all the blankets off his bed, you know, pillow, whatever. Shoves his body in the basement storage room. The reason we know this is they later find blood in that storage room. And they know that that's where she stored him for, you know, the time being or whatever. Yeah. After Letitia went back to Gannon's bedroom and she cleaned it up to make sure there's no evidence. But uh, sucks for her. Blood's really hard to hide. <laughs> right. You know. Um, but to the naked eye, I guess it was cleaned up that you couldn't have seen that something had happened there yeah um so all the clothes that she was wearing when the murder happened were never found um her shoes were found in the washing machine they tested him for dna on his on her on the shoes and found gannon's blood and the bottoms of her shoes were stained with blood um the weapon used to stab gannon is never found as well as any shell casings from the nine millimeter After she cleans everything up, she gets rid of evidence. She then hid Gannon's body in a suitcase. And then she hides his body in a suitcase. We later find out she rents a van, drives from Colorado Springs to Pensacola, Florida, with her older daughter in the car, and throws the suitcase off the side of a bridge into a river. She had to drive 1,300 miles to do this. Like, right? And her whole defense is. Is, is an insanity plea. Like, you had to think, if you're insane, you're not going to think all this out. Right. Like, this is crazy. I mean, obviously, yeah. that's what she's trying to say. But you had to really think it out. You're not like, yeah, I don't know. So, Gannon's body doesn't get found until March 17th of 2020. So, a couple months later. Um, Like I said in the beginning, Letitia reported Gannon missing. So I'm going to kind of go over a little bit of the timeline of what happened, like, between, you know, here and there, now and then, whatever. Um, So 4.30 in the morning of murder, so before he's even murdered, 
She texted her boss, Miss Hicks, and told her she wouldn't be to work that day because her stepfather was hit by a car and killed. Already, you're like, what? Right. Like, where did she come up with this? Why? She's obviously got something going. Like, she's planning something. He's not even dead at this point. Um, Letitia had started a job, started this job that prior Friday. So she starts the job on Friday, and then that Monday she's texting her boss saying, Hey, I'm not coming in. My dad got hit. And she works at this elementary school, right? Yeah. So Miss Hicks responds to her, you know, gives her her condolences and asks if she needs her to get a sub for the day. And that pissed Letitia off. And she responded, how dare you even ask that? He was family. And of course I won't be there. It's like, dude, she's trying to be nice. Calm down. (laughs) So like 9 a.m., there's a text from Gannon's phone to Al asking if they have any bath salts because he wants to take them to a friend's house because he's going to hang out with his older brother. So at this point, they're pretty sure, you know, that text was from Letitia, not. Right. Not Gannon. Obviously, this isn't normal behavior for Gannon. He's never done anything like that. Like, And also, who texts their dad and asks for bath salts? Like, she's setting some up. Right. Um, at 10.12, Letitia and Gannon actually leave the house, and there's ring camera footage of this, like, from other houses and stuff. They leave in Al's truck and run errands. Um, they go to, like, Petco and a couple other places or whatever. Um, at 3.15, Lena comes home from school, and by this point, they're pretty sure Gannon's already dead. Yeah. So between, you know, them leaving at 10.12, coming home, and 3.15 when Lana gets there. Lana. I keep saying Lana. Her name's Lena. He's been murdered. 3.31, Al texts Letitia because she hadn't responded to him the whole day, and it's like, hey, what's going on? Where are you? You know. She doesn't respond to him. So 335, which is four minutes later, he texts Gannon phone. Gannon's phone is like, hey, buddy, I can't get a hold of Tisha. Now I'm trying to get a hold of you. Um, that message was not open until 7 p.m. that night, which we already know that he's been yeah. been gone. Um, Harley gets home from work around 437. And at 4.50, Letitia has her and Lena go to the Dollar Tree to pick up some cleaning supplies for her. At 5.38, I'll request to FaceTime, but it doesn't happen. It's then by 6.27, Letitia messages Al that Gannon had went to a friend's house and was supposed to be home by 6 and still isn't home. So she's had, the, like, he never went to a friend's. We know that. Yeah. You know, it's just the insanity plea just drives me crazy because this whole thing you can tell is very, like, she thought it out. She knew what she was going to do. She knew the steps she was going to tr- take to try to get away with it. Yeah. You know? Um, so, obviously, we know he's murdered at this point. That evening at 6.55 p.m., Letitia calls the non-emergency line to report him missing. They tell her she needs to call 911. 911 operator, you know, who's the last person to see him. And she goes, uh, yes, me. Yeah, no shit, lady. Right. So, while she's still on the phone with 911, Harley goes to the park to look for him. Um, Around 7.18, there's an incoming call to her phone from the sheriff's office. She doesn't answer it. I'm calling back. Um, Around 7.50, Al, you know, is asking her, you know, like, have the police arrived yet? Like, what's going on? Because, you know, he's out of town. He's in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, At this point... The whole neighborhood's already out searching for Gannon. It, like, got posted to, like, their Facebook group or whatever. You know how we have the neighborhood Facebook group? Yeah. So, everyone's already out looking for Gannon. 8.05, Al calls the police station. He's like, hey, what's going on? Nobody's come out yet. Um, in 8.16, Al texts, asks where the guns are. Text Letitia, ask him where the guns are. And at first she's like, uh, I haven't seen your gun. And then she's like, oh, no way. I found it. They're here. And then he's like relieved. He had assumed, you know, at this point he thinks Gannon's run off. Yeah. You know, nobody knows what actually happened. So he's just relieved. He thought maybe he'd taken the gun out somewhere, you know, whatever. Um, I'll call the police again at 945. Where the fuck you guys at? Like, 
called you hours ago. Um, 10.05, the police finally show up. Um, Letitia is annoyed at the police being there. Like, she's texted Al, like, just irritated. They're searching the house. She's mad. A mother missing her child would not be mad. She'd right. be like, please search everywhere. Like, crawl spaces. I don't Because um, they search the house to make sure he's not hiding anywhere. Because I guess that's, like, kind of a common theme for young runaways. That they'll actually just hide somewhere close to home. Yeah. They won't go far. So, she's irritated about this. Um, they leave around 11.49. And then Letitia spends the entire night basically texting Al and, like, berating him how she's all alone. She doesn't have a support system. Like, a bunch of all this bull crap. And he's like, you do have a support system. The whole neighborhood's out looking for him. People brought you food. You're, you know, yeah. you have support. Like, what are you talking about? At 6.21, she, the next morning... She leaves and tells Harley not to answer the door for anyone. She backs her Tiguan into the garage. And they think that's when she transferred Gaming's body into the car. Um, at 8.30 a.m., she leaves to the airport to pick up Al. Picks him up from the airport. And while he is getting his luggage, she goes and gets a rental car. And Al's like... Why are you getting a rental car? That's weird. And she's like, well, you know, my car's uh it's like a lease and she doesn't want to put the those extra miles on it knowing that they're gonna be driving around looking for Gannon. Yeah. Just she's nuts. That morning, police send a bulletin out to all other states, you know, letting you know this kid's missing, kind of like an Amber Alert thing, but sends it to every state. Um, this is actually how he ends up being identified once his body's recovered. Uh, Letitia leaves at noon and is gone the rest of the day. Just gone. So, 123, this is about the only time anyone has actually seen her. 123, she goes to Starbucks, meets Al there for a police interview with um, Detective Bethel. And, you know, they do a little interview, whatever. 441, Letitia goes to the airport parking lot where her Tiguan is and just leaves. She doesn't like. She doesn't pick drop the rental off or the, yeah, she doesn't drop the rental off. She doesn't pick her car up. She just goes there and leaves. She doesn't pick her car up until 706 that night. And she she doesn't even really return the rental. She just basically gives the car to a passing employee. Like just random, like here. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. Take it. I don't want it no more. Right. Which I guess at a lot of rental places that I've been, you kind of just park the car and in the lineup or whatever, but yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if she went to the place. You know, it's just weird. So from 759 to 929, Letitia drives out to Palmer Lake and they believe this is where she dropped his body off. You know, it's wintertime. Gonna keep the body cold from keep it from decomposing, smelling, whatever. It's out of the house. You know. And while she's doing this, she has her phone in airplane mode. And I think she's just trying to keep, you know, from being tracked or whatever. But I guess I didn't know this until I listened to another podcast. Um, while it doesn't have as good of GPS tracking, your phone can still be tracked in airplane mode. So it's just not as good as if it was using cellular data. Okay, so like maybe it takes longer to get the signal or something. Like something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so she doesn't respond to any calls or texts until 9.54 p.m. that night. Um, so then Tuesday, police look into, or they go take Lena and they interview her at the police station where Al's at. Um, Letitia's mad at Al for even talking to the police, which your kid is missing. Right. Of course you're going to talk to the police. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. And she's mad at him. She's like, you've betrayed me. You're, you know, crap, blah, blah, blah. Um, at 1139, Detective Bethel gets a hold of Letitia, finally sets up another interview with her for the next morning. Um, Letitia has Harley pick her up from the Holiday Inn, and she leaves her Tiguan there, which is weird. Um, around 12 a.m., Al tells Letitia, you know, do not come back to this house. But at this point, she's outside with Harley and their dogs. And 
you know, he's out there demanding the truth from her. He's already sketchy of, yeah, suspicious of her. Just like, could you imagine? It would be so horrible. This is your wife. You trusted her with your kids. Yeah. It would be horrible. So um, by 1.40 in the morning, she ends up back in the house. And so I'm going to kind of jump around at this point. So Letitia tells like a lot of different versions of what happened that day. And they don't even really stick to the same theme of what happened or they're just all out there and different. And it's like, if you're going to change your story, at least try to kind of stick a little bit to the same thing. Right. Um. So the original or sorry. First, you know, he just had run off. And then the next story, she said someone named Eduardo had broken into their home, raped her, kidnapped Gannon, and took off with him. Then there's a guy named Quincy Brown that he had taken Gannon and his bicycle. And she even mentioned the cartel at one point. Like, she's just pulling stuff out of crazy places so one thing i wanted to mention i didn't put it in my notes but the quincy brown was an actual was an actual he is an actual like wanted felon yeah that had moved to mexico and she had found this information and she had sent a picture of this guy to him to al and was like this is who took your kid blah blah, blah. like just hoping that it would stick, I guess. And like, he's in Mexico. What are they going to do? You know? It's just weird. The original story is that Gannon had gone to his friend's house and never came home. He'd stayed at home with the stomach stomach issues and then she let him go to his friend's house. Al thinks it's strange that she even let him go to his friend's house after staying homesick. Which, same. During this time, Gannon's mom, Landon, comes flies in or whatever and is staying at the house with them because she lives out of town um this caused a lot of tension with Letitia. like she's not happy that landon is staying there but like lady this is her child too like yeah. of course she's gonna be there yeah. don't be an idiot so on friday the 31st Letitia and her daughter harley decide to move out of the house this is all crazy to me like your kid's missing. Like, they've been married for a, a little bit. Like, not, like, a long time. Like, I think it was maybe five years. But Still. that's long enough. Like, that's your kid, too. Yeah. Like, he's missing, and you're just, like, moving out. And this is before anyone knew, right? They're suspicious at this point, but they don't actually know. And she's just making everyone more suspicious. Obviously, I'll begin suspecting Letitia was lying or hiding something from him. And soon after he had arrived back in town from Oklahoma, he was driving around town looking for Gannon because, you know, obviously they think he'd run away. And he planned to search around, you know, like a Walmart or game stops or whatever in town because Gannon loved to play games. And as he's driving around, Al remembers that Letitia had told him a story that she had left her car at the school where she worked. And that someone from the school had taken her to the airport. So he doesn't even know that her T1 is at the airport. Yeah. Right? And that, you know, she rented the rental car and that's what they went home in. Whatever. Um, so he drives by the school and her car's not there. And he said it was at that point that he's like, now I, I suspect Letitia is lying to me. You know? Um. He talked to some of his neighbors and paid one of them for camera footage for camera footage from their ring doorbell, which that what a shitty neighbor. Yeah. Just give them the footage. Don't be a dick. Right. Why are you making them pay for it? You know? So they watched the video and really there's nothing weird that they can tell on that day of the 27th. So on January 29th, Letitia decides to change her story. Shocking. Um, she texted Al and said, we need to talk. She's literally in the other room and she's like, we need to talk. So, um, he goes into their room and she tells them this elaborate story, how someone had broken into the house, raped her, beat her and Gannon up. And then they take Gannon and she claims it all took place in Gannon's room. Right. 
he has his mom and his ex-wife staying in Gannon's room. So immediately he gets up and goes in there and he's like, you guys need to get out of here. This is a crime scene. You know, like he doesn't 100% believe her, but he feels like there's truth and a little bit of truth in everything she's saying. So obviously something happened in the bedroom. You guys need to leave. Not like leave the house, but get out of the room. And she also tells him that she had fallen and hit her head on the table and blacked out for a while. Um, on January 29th is when Letitia interviews with Detective Bethel. You know, they'd set up that interview. It was like a three plus hour interview. They had taken her phone from her when she gets there. And basically, she's really not supposed to leave. She has to sit there and interview and whatever. Um, she starts complaining of chest pains and has them take her to the hospital. And so then she, at the hospital, she tells the de detective she's got to go to the lobby to talk to her daughter. And she gets a hold of her sister somehow. She doesn't have a phone still. Yeah. Gets a hold of her sister. Her sister calls Harley to go pick her up. And she just leaves the hospital. She's not supposed to. Like, she was still supposed to be interviewing. Yeah. And so, yeah, her daughter picks her up at a Taco Bell down the street. Just like, what the heck? <laughs> So Al goes back to the police suspecting Letitia at this point, and the FBI is now getting involved. They tell Al that they want him to start recording phone calls between him and Letitia, and they want Al to try to get Letitia to try to try to get him get her to admit something, you know. Um a lot of these phone calls take place, I think it's like mid-February. So I'm kind of skipping ahead a little bit, I guess. In these recorded phone calls, Letitia's stories start changing again. And I didn't even put all the stories she told. I just put a few of them in here. She tells so many different stories. It's ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so she says her and Gannon had left the house early that morning and took Al's truck, which the ring camera does show them leaving in Al's truck. Um, they went to Dairy Queen and then they went to Petco. So basically running errands. She said she had um, used Craigslist to get Al a new bike, like for his birthday or something. She's buying Al a new bike off Craigslist. She ends up in this weird rural part of town, which GPS actually confirmed she's in this weird part of town that she says she was at. And she said the area felt sketchy. So she ends up driving back home. But before they had left, she tells Al that she had given a random maintenance man their garage code so he could go in there and replace that burnt piece of carpet from where the candle had tipped over. And he's like, why would you give our garage code to some random man? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And she's like, no, he was going to fix the carpet. Right. Then when her and Gannon get back home, this man is in the home and he rapes her and he beats her and kidnaps Gannon. Also, I want to know where all her bruises and cuts and scrapes are from getting beat up all the time. Beat up and hitting her head on the right? table like, in his room. And I don't think this happened, lady. Yeah. Then in some other call calls, she's changing her story again and goes back to the Craigslist deal. But this time, um, the Craigslist person followed her back to the house. And that's who raped and beat him up. Al at one point... In the call, just flat out ask her, did you kill Gannon? And she starts, like, screaming and crying, how could you ask me that? And Wild basically just loses his cool cool in the phone call. Like, he's just like, which I would, too. Like, he knows at this point, like, she did something. February 14th, in one of their calls, Letitia asks for immunity. And Al's like, why would you need immunity? Like, why, why are you asking for that? Why would you need that? Yeah. And she tells him he has information she doesn't want to give up. And people's lives are at risk. Yeah, her life. Like, you're going to jail. Yeah. And whoever it is is threatening her. And she brings up the man named Eduardo. And she also, in another one, Quincy Brown. You know, she has a new story. This is another new one. On the way to get the bike from Craigslist, there's a man laying in the middle of the road. And when she slows down, this person gets into the truck. And I was like, how the F did they get in the truck? Like, when you're driving, the doors are locked. 
how did they get into the truck? Um, but he doesn't want to push too hard because then he's not going to get any information out of her. So he just kind of goes along with it. And he's like, so this guy gets in the truck and then what? And she tells him that they drove back to their house. Why would you drive back to your house? Right. Like drive to a police station. Yeah. You know? So she's saying it was this Quincy Brown guy. And how she knows it was Quincy Brown is that his ID fell out of his pocket. How convenient. Like, where is it then? Yeah. Show me the ID. <laughs> um, she said he stole Gannon for ransom and is threatening Letitia's life. Al said he would have died before giving up Gannon. Yeah. Like, so would I. Like, you're trying to take my kids? No. I'll be dead before you leave. Yeah. You're going to have to kill me to take them. The next phone call, Al is, he's basically over her crap. And is like, you know, this is our last chance. And the first thing she says is, do you love me? And I was like, yes. Then there's like a really long pause. And she says, would you support me if this was an accident? And immediately says, of course I would. I've already told you I would. I just need you to tell me the truth. So now she's saying that they went to get the bike and the man was really nice. This Craigslist guy's really nice. Um, Gannon gets on the bike and the guys push him around, but Gannon falls off and hits his head and was bleeding really bad. And I was like, what does really bad mean? And she's like, like really bad. It's all, it was all over my clothes and my shoes. It was bad. Right. And then like in one point in all this, she's like, says, I'm tired of being accused of killing a child that I loved. I even had a better relationship with him than I do Lena. Why would you say that? Yeah. What? Um, now we're going back up to January 30th. So January 30th, police are kind of doing some undercover surveillance of Letitia. And Letitia and Harley go, they go out, they get in Harley's Jetta. Um, Harley gets into the driver teat. Driver teat? He gets in the driver's seat and Letitia gets into the back and just kind of slumps down like she's hiding. The police follow them to Marshall's. They wait in the parking lot for him to come out and they have a warrant for the car and both Letitia and Harley's phones. So they're going to take the Jetta. They're going to take both phones, right? Yeah. Um, so Letitia comes out before Harley and she sees them and she like kind of starts backing up and then she tries to take off and they chase her and she throws the keys into like the middle of the parking lot and the cops end up like pulling their guns on her and telling her to stop. And she's like, Oh, okay. So she finally stops and then they handcuff her. And at this point, Harley's coming out of the marshals and she sees what's going on and she just starts crying and they put her in the back of one of the cop cars and basically tell her, you know, we're not here to arrest you. You're not in trouble. We're, we have warrant for the car and the phones. Like that's all we're here for. Yeah. You know, Letitia's brother, Dakota Lowry, he testified of this in the trial is that on January 30th, him and his mother and aunt, they come to Colorado Springs, you know, Gannon's missing. All the family's coming to town. And he remembers this is the day, you know, Letitia and Harley are at Marshall's and Dakota and his mom and aunt actually pick them up after everything happened. So they go to the Marshall's and pick them up. Um, they go and they rent a cargo van from the airport so they can help Letitia move out of the house. Um, he says that as they were moving stuff out, police were searching through all the bags that they're taking out to make sure there wasn't anything that they're not supposed to be taking. They stayed in the hotel that night, and then the next morning, Letitia says she's going to get dog food, but she's gone for, like, a super long time. Like, and they're even like, like, where the heck did she go? Yeah. Like, this is weird. On February 1st, they actually swap cargo vans, so they go and get a different one. And so they have to move everything from one van to the other, and Dakota says he noticed um, a suitcase that seems extremely heavy for Letitia. And he asked if she needed him to help her. And she's like, no. And then he's like, what is even in that? Like, Cause it's so heavy. He's like, what is even in that? And she's like, oh, it's just some softball equipment. 
And she actually um, played softball and like, went to college and stuff or whatever. He thought, you know, it didn't really make sense, which doesn't. <laughs> Who keeps their softball equipment in a suitcase? Then a month and a half later, he finds out on the news that they found Dan's body in that suitcase. So he was right there. Yeah. You know, which has got to be hard on him. The beginning of February, so after they swap everything over, Letitia and Harley leave Colorado. And Letitia's like, we're going to move to Texas. Like, your son is missing and you're just going to move? Yeah. Like, and Harley in her thing said she didn't really think this was too out of the norm because, like, Letitia had done it before where like she's like, okay, we're going to move here. And they ended up just making a whole loop and coming back. Yeah. So she was just like, all right, mom, I'm here for the ride, you know? So it says they're going to go to Texas. Then it changes to Florida. They stay in a hotel in Pensacola, Florida. And then they eventually leave and they end up in South Carolina. And that's where they end up staying when she's arrested. So February 4th is when they're in Florida. And they stay at a hotel. They get into Florida around midnight. And, you know, they go check into their hotel. Harley goes to bed. And then sometime in the night, Letitia leaves the hotel and takes the suitcase with Gannon's body and drops it off of a bridge and then comes back before Harley wakes up. Letitia is arrested at the beginning of March when she's being interviewed. You know, after being arrested, um, she asks, what am I being charged with? And the officer says, for the murder of Gannon Stalk. And she's, she acts completely surprised. And she's like, Gannon's been murdered? You know? And she says, what you're charging me with isn't true. Gannon is alive and I want to help you find him. Then why are you leaving the state? Right. If you wanted to help find him, why, why'd you leave? You know, it's just, lady, you're sketchy as hell. He asked her what happened at the house because, you know, they know she's been lying. And she's like, nothing happened at the house. She then tells him that she needs protection from the FBI and wants a new identity, basically. And they're like, we need you to give us information or we can't do that. You know, and why does she need protection? Who does she need protection from? Like, what do you? And she says, we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they're like, who? You were Gannon. And she's like, we both were. What is she? Like, a lot of the stuff she says is like, just bits and pieces. It doesn't make sense. You're like, what are you even saying? Yeah. You know? So after this happens, um, by the time Gannon's found, he was so decomposed that the medical examiner in Florida wasn't able to, like, they were pretty sure it was him, but they weren't able to officially identify him as Gannon. Yeah. So they sent the body back to Colorado and where that coroner had to use the ball part of his femur. He had to cut it open and get bone marrow for DNA because he was just that decomposed. There was like no, not really much viable tissue to identify him. Um, I mean, he was in the water for two months. Well, not two months, I guess. She dropped him at the beginning of February and then he was found mid-March. But he'd been dead for basically two months. Yeah. Um, so another thing they think her plan was dropping him there in Pensacola is that um, that river actually does flow into Mexico. And she's blaming this Quincy Brown, who is a felon, a wanted felon, and he's in Mexico, right? So they think that's why she dropped in there, just hoping he might float down that way or whatever. She made the mistake of dropping him in like a marshy area where it's not going to flow anywhere, yeah. you know? So um, there was a diver that actually found him. They found the suitcase, brought him up or whatever. Um, so the autopsy, they found hydrocodone in Gannon's system, um, which, you know, is a prescription that Al had, but they're like, why did he have it in his system? Yeah. Like they think she drugged him and then murdered him. So. You're saying a diver found the body. Like, how did they know where to look? They weren't looking for him. They weren't? It was just a brand. It was a diver. Like, 
they search that from what I heard is they dive that every area every so often. I can't even remember the time period that it said, but they dive there every so often. Just I can't even remember the reason. I should have wrote it down. But they were not looking for a body when they did it. Okay. So it just happened upon it? Yeah. Because, yeah, they would have had no idea that they didn't even know until after the fact, you know. When Letitia finds out that Gannon's body's found, she's already been arrested, right? She's in jail. She finds out that his body's been found. And she starts crying and asks if she can call her mom. And when she talks to her mom, um, they haven't said anything about where the body was found. Yeah. But Letitia blurts out, I've never even been to Florida. How'd you know? Yeah. Like, how did you know? So during her trial, they have a witness named Janine Sanchez. And she's called as a witness. Um, She worked at Massage Envy with Harley, which is her daughter. And they also like went to Bible study together and stuff a couple times. Janine was with Harley when Harley went to pick Letitia up from the hospital on January 29th. And she says that the car ride was like super awkward. She and she said like Letitia got into the car and just said, I hope you don't think we're a bunch of murderers. This is after Gannon's missing. This is like everybody knows he's missing. Yeah. And she just gets in the car and is like, I hope you don't think we're a bunch of murderers. <laughs> what? Oh, this lady. Yeah. So, um, like, read the room. <laughs> That's not funny. Uh, so, Letitia borrows Harley's phone and starts texting people. She borrows the phone in front of this Janine. They're all in the car together. She, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just so weird. She sends a message to Janine, acting to be Harley, and says, is it okay for my mom to stay over also? Because Harley was going to stay the night at Janine's house. Yeah. So she texts her. Janine knows she has the phone. Is it okay for my mom to stay over also? Like, how do you not feel stupid? (laughs) And then, like, obviously, Janine ends up letting her stay, but... So then another, there's another witness that I want to talk about that her name was Nicole Mobley. And in the trial, she testified that, you know, Letitia had asked her during a text conversation to say she saw like a suspicious man while out searching for Gannon. And so I kind of want to tell you more about her, I guess. So she testifies and she's talking about how like, before all this happened, she had posted on the Facebook group, Lucine for Girls Clothes. She's like, she responds as if she's Harley. She's like, yeah, I have some clothes. Drops them off. Goes up, it's Letitia, not Harley. And then, like, kind of sticks around, wants to talk or whatever, be friends. Um, And she just thinks she's super weird. She's like, what is happening? You know? Then after Gannon goes missing and stuff, she kind of starts talking to her like on um like dming and then they start talking to each other on an app and stuff and she basically is just trying to trick her into admitting something right and so now she's thinking you know they're buddies and she asks her to say she saw a suspicious man while they were out searching for gannon so immediately she goes to police takes her phone in she's like here's all the messages like She's up to something. She's asked me to say that I saw a man. I didn't see a man. Blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. Which, good for her. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, during court, I thought this was just I kind of, I don't know. I'm, I'm morbid. This made me giggle. During court, Letitia gets reprimanded by the judge because it's brought to his attention that she's been giving witnesses and the family members, the finger during the trial. Like she's just yeah, trying to discreetly flip people off. <laughs> <laughs> Why? So the judge basically, basically tells her, you know, that's disrespectful. You're not going to do it in my courtroom. We can put you in a holding cell during this trial until you're ready to act. Right. You know, like yeah. then like they adjourn for the day. The next day they come into court and 
he ends up moving her to the middle of the room, you know, where he can see her better. Cause before she's like in a corner and not really in his eyes. Right. Yeah. At this point he tells her, you know, if this stuff continues to happen, cause I guess they showed him the pictures after like of her flipping people off and stuff. Um, this continues to happen. We can add time to your sentence, but that wouldn't do much because, you know, if you're found guilty, you're going away for life anyway. Yeah. He's like, or we can have a bolt installed under that table and have you handcuffed, which is not going to be comfortable, comfortable for you for the duration of the trial. So I just, that made me giggle. And then she got in trouble, which made me giggle more. <laughs> um, so in Harley's testimony in, in the trial, Letitia had texted Harley telling her about the fire in the basement, you know, said Gannon had lit a candle, knocked it over, and he had gone and burned or gotten burned. Then she texted her later telling her that Gannon ran out in the street and was yelling that he hated his life, which none of this is normal for Gannon's behavior. Um, Then she texted her, OMG, something's wrong. When asked what it this meant Harley said that Letitia said Gannon had texted Al asking for bath salts to take to his friend's house. So obviously we know that all of this was just Letitia setting up her plan. Like yeah. none of it was true. I mean, there was the fire that he got burned, but we don't even know if he started it or if she started it or what the heck happened. So when Harley gets home from work, Letitia has Harley take her sister to go to the Dollar Tree. You know, like we said before. Um, when they get back, Gannon's still not home, supposed to be home around six. They had talked about like dinner and stuff. They talked about getting sushi and stuff, which when he's not home right away, you know, Harley doesn't think it's too weird, but Letitia's making it a big deal. And she's basically like, well, I guess he doesn't want sushi, which does anybody want sushi? Not me. No, nobody wants sushi unless you're sick. just kidding there's people who like sushi (laughs) so um then they go drive around the block and knock on his friend's door but no one has seen him obviously she knows this and the next day you know harley testifies letitia was gone the whole day which we talked about she tells her not to answer the door so oh also she didn't know how the post had gotten on facebook and he was missing and then there's a bunch of neighbors out looking for him Letitia's kind of like bugged about that too so the police wanted to interview Harley and Letitia basically says no she's a minor you're a minor you're not going to do it which is what 17 Mm -hmm. which technically she can say no (laughs) so um, she tells Harley to leave Lena her little sister at the house and meet her with the dogs which is like when she's at the hotel waiting for her to pick her up or whatever. Yeah. But Harley refused to leave her little sister alone. So she waits till other people get there. Letitia eventually, you know, has her meet her at the hotel. When Letitia finally arrives at the hotel, because she's not even there when Harley gets there. When she gets to the hotel, she gets into the Tiguan and tells Harley to go back to the house. And all of this time she turned her GPS off on her phone. So, like, none of her... Because they have, like, that sharing location or whatever. So, no one in the family knows where she is. She also talks to them about leaving and going to Florida and staying in South Carolina. Um, This is all what Harley's telling them. Letitia's... Like I said, Letitia's defense is she's claiming insanity. And telling them that she has disassociative identity disorder. She claimed she has multiple personalities that help her deal with trauma that that has happened to her in her life. Like she claims that she's been sexually assaulted and all this stuff. And she has these personalities that help her cope with that. Um, She also claimed one of these personas is Maria Sanchez. And that's who killed Gannon and mistaking, mistaking him as like a threat. So Maria's perso- persona is like a, Rus- a Russian assassin that is trained to kill. Yeah, because Maria Sanchez sounds like a believable Russian name. Right? <laughs> and so like at one point in one of the interviews, like not obviously not in court, but it's like a recorded interview with one of the therapists. Um, they tell her, oh, I want to talk to Maria now. And she like starts talking in a Russian accent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
But yeah, she just like plays into this and like, um, it's like when someone had broken into the house and Maria got a gun and then she saw someone in a cape and so she shot at him, but it ended up being Gannon and it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, so most of this is obviously like self-diagnosed by Letitia. But the funny thing about DID is it's super rare that people actually have it. And if she actually suffered from DID, she would not be able to self-diagnose or tell you about her other personalities because she would not know about them. Yeah. And one of the biggest symptoms of DID is loss of time, which like, you know, you're switching personas. So you're losing that time that you're that person. Yeah. You know, she does not have that. She has no loss of time. She can tell you what her other personas are doing. Personalities are doing, you know. So it's really just like a joke that she's even trying to fake this. But I guess she thought, you know, this was her best shot. I don't know. Um. So she's found guilty, obviously, on all counts. It's like four different charges, I think. There's murder. First degree, I think. And then I should have wrote it down. Murder, tampering with a deceased body, something to do with murdering the child to trust you. I really did a bad job at writing that part down. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, so the judge sentenced Letitia to life in prison without the possibility of parole on the two counts of first degree murder. Oh, look, I wrote that. And he also sentenced Letitia to 13 and a half years on the charges of tampering with evidence and tampering with a dead body. Those, I did write them. I just didn't read far enough. So ahead. I'm so sorry. Um, so, yeah, basically she sucks and we hate her. Yeah. Finn. <laughs> That's my story. I don't know how. I mean, I know we get upset with the kids or we get mad at them or whatever, but I don't know how... I mean, that's normal to get mad at your kids. I don't know how you could be. I don't know if she was just so angry at him or like what her deal was with him that you would even want to do something like that to somebody. The thing is, is like you hear about people snapping and stuff. It doesn't sound like she snapped. It sounds like she planned this out. Like she was setting it up before it ever happened. Texting people. Oh, he's acting weird. He's trying to make it look like he, yeah, he's going to run away. And then yeah. he runs away. But he doesn't run away. She murdered him. And I want to know. So, like, when they're um, checking out the room and his cannon's room, there's, like, pools of blood, spots. Because you know how they can use the spray with the yeah. light? Yeah. There's blood everywhere. I don't know how she cleaned it all up. And then there's blood in the garage store's room and then there's a board that was in the garage that had blood on it she had taken that to the lake she had driven out to driven out driven out to and left it there and they actually found it there and the, it's just like the whole thing is crazy that's crazy and she's just like she thinks she's a victim and for her whatever and why won't you guys believe me why would we like, would anyone believe you? You're she probably messed with the Russian mafia in her alter ego <laughs> and freaking they were out for her. I don't even know. Well, and the fact that she thinks she can self-diagnose is like, obviously you didn't look that much into it. Yeah. Like, oh, and then a lot of her personalities had names of like characters in movies. Like there was Twilight characters and <laughs> <laughs> One of my personalities is Edward Cullen. Right. I think it was um, Jasper. It was Jasper. Which isn't that one of the guys? It's one of the vampires, yeah. yeah. So, like, she's just, I don't even know. Funny. My alter ego is Belle. Right. Bella? <laughs> I'm Jacob. <laughs> See, he does have different personalities. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she just I don't even know. She's something else. But she's going to prison for a long time. Good. Two life sentences plus the 13 and a half years on each of the other charges. So, so not pertaining to this one, but did you ever see like the time they gave Lori Vallow? 
you know what? I know she's, I mean, guilty on all counts. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure it's life, but I didn't know if there were yeah. other little ones they had on. Oh, I'm sure. There's so many charges that were brought against her. Yeah. You know, so. Um, but, yeah, she, in case anybody was wondering that didn't see our Facebook post, she was found guilty on all charges. So. Just like this beast. Right. So. Yeah. That's our stories. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that is it for today. Thank you for coming back and listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you guys could do us a favor and get on, you know, either Apple podcast or Spotify and give us a review and um, rate the podcast. Sharing it would be fantastic. We would love that. Um, also, check out our Instagram. Follow us at Deathly Afraid Podcast. You can email us at deathlyafraidpod at gmail.com. You can check out our Facebook group, Deathly Afraid Podcast. And you can have a nice day. We appreciate you. And have a great week. Bye. Bye.